Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Good evening, I'm Jim Perry, and you're listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphomet. Broadcasting tonight from my home studio in the hinterlands of the Oregon coast, directly to the mothership, Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW in Seattle. Of course, we're also streaming worldwide at nightdrift.com. And tonight, a conversation with a returning guest, veteran journalist Ralph Blumenthal. We'll talk about his work on the UFO Experiencer Beat. He's the co-writer of the groundbreaking New York Times story on the Pentagon's secret UAP program and the book, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack. I'll ask him about his career as a staff reporter for the New York Times, some big questions around his personal experience in all of this, and much, much more. That's tonight. This Thursday, we have a brand new episode of Euphemet dropping on the feed, one of the most surreal, time-bending stories we've ever featured. That's Thursday on the Euphemet feed, wherever you listen to podcasts. No calls tonight, but if you can't join the conversation live, you can join us right here on Twitter by using hashtag Nightdrift. I'm Jim Perry. Ralph Blumenthal on Nightdrift, right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. I'm Jim Perry. Welcome back to Night Drift. A big thank you to our sponsors, AMC Networks, Shutter, BetterHelp, and our patrons over at patreon.com slash euphemid. Thank you for making this show possible, and, you know, thank you for listening. I'm talking to you right now. Thank you for listening. You know, over the past few weeks, we have been featuring stories, ideas, and experiences from the direct edge of the unknown. Contact, abduction, many of these compiled in data sets that reveal a widespread phenomenon. A fraction of those, people interacting with some sort of intelligence. Someone who has worked extensively in exposing these stories for a new generation of mainstream readers is with me tonight. For more than 45 years, Ralph Blumenthal led an extensive and illustrious career at the New York Times as an arts and culture news reporter, an investigative and crime reporter, a foreign correspondent, and more. 
He also co-wrote the Breakthrough 2017 Times article that broke the story of the secret UAP Pentagon program. He has written seven books on organized crime and cultural history. He led the Times Metro team that won the Pulitzer Prize for breaking news coverage of the 1993 truck bombing of the World Trade Center. His latest, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and The Passion of John Mack is out now in paperback. And welcome back to Night Drift, Ralph. Jim, thank you. Great to be with you. Yeah, you know, um, in our program back on October 11th of last year, we discussed extensively your book, The Believer, in, which is all about the life and work of Pulitzer Prize-winning Harvard psychiatrist John Mack. Folks can go back and listen to that episode on the Euphemet podcast feed as perhaps a nice part one to this very conversation. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm curious, Ralph, since the book's release, have you learned anything new about Mack or been surprised by any new discoveries on the topic of the experiencer? Um, well, you know, um, I wouldn't say I learned anything new because I spent, you know, almost 17 years looking into his, uh, his story. Right. Um, but I am uh, uh, amazed anew at uh, how much of a path, uh, groundbreaking pathmaker he was. Mm. Um, because the issues that he uh, investigated uh, at Harvard, sometimes to his professional detriment, um, are still issues we're grappling with today, maybe more urgently than ever, and there's still no answer. Yeah. Um, and uh, so his research goes back to the 90s, so um, almost you know 30 years, um, and yet we, we don't know much more than, than he had at his disposal, what he learned, and he certainly pushed the boundaries. Right. So it's not so much that I've learned anything new, but I'm constantly uh, amazed again at what he was able to accomplish. Yeah, and probably diving into it for as many years as you have, you've been able to kind of grasp the full uh, sort of juggernaut of this topic, correct? And and it, it, does it almost feel more enormous than when you began? Well, uh, it is enormous, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we've made, since I began my research, we've made enormous progress in uh, the whole issue uh, of uh, UFOs, UAP. Uh, as you know, last year, um, less than a year ago, um, 2021, the UAP task force issued its long awaited report. It was only nine pages long, yeah. but it certainly was revolutionary. And those who were disappointed that it didn't say more, I think are missing the boat. Uh, what it said was extraordinary. For the first time, uh, the government was saying that these objects are real. And uh, we don't know, you know, what they are, where they come from, you know, uh, who's behind the wheel, if any intelligence, uh, why they're here. Um, but um, they're not figments of, of the imagination. They're not fly specks on the windshield. They're not all the things that, you know, the government dismissed them as years ago. So um, that is an enormous uh, leap forward. Um, and yet, of course, it is still far short of uh, intelligence and the whole idea of aliens, which the government does not address because uh, there's no answer, unlike with UFOs, a UAP, where there is a scientific backup now for the first time in the right. form of Navy, um, you know, measuring devices. So yeah. uh, we've, we've come a long way, we still have a long way to go, but uh, I would say that's been the big breakthrough. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, I'll touch on this a little later, but I think you, um, whether you take credit for it or not, uh, you were a part of making that happen, my friend. Um, so mm. we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later in my personal opinion on that. But, you know, I, I was wondering, um, you know, I've, I've read a lot of your work. You know, I have a New York Times uh, subscription, and so I've been going through the back catalog, and uh, mm-hmm. I've read a lot of your pieces that are available out there publicly to, the, to this day. And boy, what a career you have had my friend. And, and I'm hoping that this conversation we have, we get a chance to break into a little bit um, more of the full spectrum of your life and career. And a part of that is your own personal experiences outside of being a journalist. And and it, did I hear somewhere that you potentially had a, a sort of anomalous experience yourself when you were younger? Um, well, uh, not when I was younger. Um, I, actually, when I was younger, I was very interested in science fiction. Mm. Um, and I grew up uh, at a time when science fiction was very, uh, very popular, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov. And that sort of attuned me to the idea that, um, uh, you know, the, 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 there were great stories out there, but it was all fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I did have, uh, look, I never saw a UFO and, and neither did John Mack. I have not had any abduction experiences, neither did John Mack. Um, and later on, uh, he thought, and I guess I joined him here, that it was to the good for him because he was always reporting on it as an outsider, not as an advocate. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not invested in this issue to the point of, you know, like so many people I've interviewed who've had personal experiences. And, uh, I, you know, in a way, I envy them because the experiences are extraordinary, literally out of this world uh, kinds of things. But it just hasn't happened to me. And by the way, Jim, one of the interesting areas of research, which is too often neglected, is why some people have these experiences and other people don't. I mean, that is a mystery that really is worth uh, exploring. But, uh, you know, to get back to me, um, no, I I haven't had any anomalous experiences uh, except for one thing that I wrote about. Uh, not too long ago when I was doing a piece on Robert Bigelow, mm. uh, who is one of who was one of Mac's uh, benefactors um, and is a great science um, entrepreneur and developed a ha- space habitat, uh, which is now being used on the International Space Station. And um, and as you know, I mean, he was very interested in um, he bought Skinwalker Ranch, which was a locus in, in Utah of many anomalous events, very mysterious. And um, Robert Bigelow uh, last year um, announced a contest um, for the best essay on survival of consciousness, life after death. And I wrote that up for the New York Times. It was a big story. And um, he was trying to get to the bottom of, you know, uh, what these experiences are. People who have, quote, died and come back and remembered things, you know. So I was grappling with all this, uh, writing the story. And how do I tell the story of the New York Times? And I was lying in bed about six o'clock in the morning. And suddenly there was a tremendous explosion. And I leaped out of bed and the dog and my wife, we were all awakened. And um, 
the terrace door had basically shattered, blown apart. We now we live, you know, 12 stories up over the street in midtown Manhattan. Oh, my God. Uh, so it wasn't a rock, you know, and it wasn't <laughs> a bird because there was no dead bird. Something made that terrace door explode. Now, was it a temperature inversion like some people suggested? Um, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. the door definitely exploded as I was lying there thinking about life after death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I don't know. You want to count that as an anomalous experience? <laughs> uh, perhaps, you know, who's to say, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't ascribe it to anything, uh, you know, necessarily um, momentous, but it was just one of those strange things that happened and there's no explanation. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it does seem that, you know, hearkening back to Mac, he had no fear in this work um, of investigating the UFO. And, and of course, our, our other conversation, we we discussed that, you know, he, he was um, a very passionate man and it didn't take him long until he was, you know, uh, you know, lecturing about this topic, um, right. a very passionate uh, individual. And so. You know, he wasn't afraid of what that was going to do to his work or his career, it seems like. Have you yourself found any sort of pushback professionally once you started covering these sorts of topics? Hmm, good question. Um, not to the extent, well, Mac was a, a, you know, a distinguished professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He had a lot to risk yeah. by going into this field. Um, I'm a journalist and a you know writer, so I can investigate almost anything um, without risking my career. So I wouldn't compare myself uh, to him in terms of the uh, risk he, he undertook. And it did. I mean, he paid a, quite a price because he was investigated by Harvard, as a, a story I tell in the book. And he yeah. he got through it all right, but uh, cost it cost him a lot of money and lawyers fees and psychic uh, trauma and, and all the other things. But um, um, uh, but, you know, people make jokes all the time. Uh, you know, uh, it's still a, a, a subject of some ridicule, unfortunately, uh, which is what has held it back from real scientific exploration. Um, and um, my colleague, Helene Cooper, because the, the first piece I wrote, uh, uh, co-wrote in December 2017, which revealed the existence of this Pentagon office to investigate UFOs. We called it ATIP. It went under different names at different times. Um, but uh, Helene Cooper, who worked in the in the Washington Bureau, who covers the Pentagon, and who joined us in this uh, uh, you know series um, in breaking the story, uh, she endured uh, some um, ribbing, you know, mm. ridicule by her colleagues. Um, and then the story she told us was that she put up on her uh, computer uh, one of the three videos we got from the Navy showing these um, objects, you know, uh, actually uh, being tracked by Navy measuring devices, uh, gun cameras and stuff. And uh, and that really put an end to the joking in the Washington Bureau. People would mm -hmm. gather around her computer and they were amazed that these images, because these were really the first authenticated uh, images, military images made public of yeah. these objects. So that's what changed the, uh, you know, the paradigm. Uh, so that, that shut them up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's a good point, and uh, it, it, it dovetails nicely into um, one of the non-hyperbolic statements that I was going to make in regards to your work, and that I think it's really changed um, it's changed the perspective and the lens that a lot of normal run-of-the-mill everyday people view this phenomenon through. You know, um, that, that series of articles that, that started in 2017 for the Times, you know, many people are now ready to talk about their experiences around the dinner table, uh, around the water cooler. Since that story has been published, uh, looking back at that moment in 2017, I don't know, since this has been such a whirlwind, maybe you haven't even had a second to breathe and, and think about it in this way, but what were your personal feelings? What are your personal feelings now looking back at that moment after seeing what an effect that story's had? Well, it has been amazing. And, you know, I didn't think of it at the time, you know, what, what the consequences would be. But the story, um, you know, like so many stories uh, in my career, uh, developed uh, quite unexpectedly. Um, mm. I wasn't out looking for a UFO story, uh, to be sure, in December 17. But Leslie Kane, um, someone I got to know as I was writing my book, because she was uh, the partner of Bud Hopkins, one of the pioneers in this field who, who really got John Mack interested first. So Leslie and I had become friendly. She wrote a, a groundbreaking book on UFOs back in 2011. Sure. Uh, we're interviewing pilots and uh, uh, heads of, of government in Europe or so who were more open about UFOs than we were in this country. Um, and she told me she was going down to Washington to meet with some people um, who, um, who were involved in, in UFO investigations. When she came back, she told me she had met with a guy, Lou Elizondo, whose name was not, it was not a household word then, it, he is now a household <laughs> name, but uh, he was the head of this ATIP office in the Pentagon that was actually investigating UFOs and had gotten money through Harry Reid, the Senate Majority Leader, to do this investigation. It was all secret. It wasn't... Uh, um, it wasn't top secret. It was not confidential. So she had been down at the, at a meeting with uh, Lou Elizondo and some others, and, they, and then Lou Elizondo was resigning. So that's interesting right there. So she came back from Washington with that story and said, let's see if we can get this into the New York Times. And I had uh, actually retired from the Times in 2009. So this was 2017, but I still kept up the Times. I knew a lot of the editors there. I, I broached the topic. I went to the top guy. Um, um, Dean Baquet, who was the executive editor, and I didn't give him any real details. I just said, we have a sensational story uh, that really belongs in the New York Times. And he put us in touch with um, uh, the Washington Bureau investigations editor, and he came up to New York and we laid out the story. And that's what started it off. So yeah, I was surprised um, the story took off. Um, it, it, you know, ran on the front page on a Sunday, you can't get better display than that. It ran right. with uh, two of the three videos we ended up getting from the Pentagon showing these objects and the Navy jets, you know, tracking them. Um, we had a sidebar on one of the pilots who was describing his own experiences, Dave Fravor, um, who's amazing. And uh, boy, and that, that really took it. It, it was really one of the most um, viewed uh, stories on the Times webpage. Um, and the the videos were, you know, uh, the, the most viewed videos almost at the times that ever run. So, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised. I wasn't expecting it. But that's that's what happens in the news business. 
<laughs> one would hope, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't happen often enough, but when it happens, it's right. amazing. I mean, it's also a question of the right, you know, there's a kind of a um, Zen thing about catching a story at the right time. The right, you know, the, it was just the right time for this story. Uh, there'd been so many stories about UFOs that didn't really get proper display and there was so much skepticism and ridicule. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that the Times was paying attention to this on the front page, that, by the way, what, what helped us was that we had the story completely on the record. There were no anonymous sources. There was no, you know, um, uh, un, unacknowledged information. Everything was right. laid out uh, on the record. And um, so, uh, so that helped. I mean, people could check our reporting and there were no... Uh, you know, nothing was, uh, uh, there were no complaints about things we missed or misquoted. I mean, it was all uh, acknowledged afterwards as completely accurate. So uh, it all came together. Yeah, for once an airtight story on, yeah. on, on the structure <laughs> of what's happening, which yeah, is so was, rare. <laughs> that, that certainly helped. <laughs> all right. We have to take a short break here on Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. We'll be right back here with more Ralph Blumenthal after this.
You're listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. We are back here on Night Drift. Remember, you can follow us across social media at Euphemet. If you want more of the program, you can find it on the Euphemet feed, wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit euphemet.com. And listen, do you have a paranormal experience that has changed your life? Made you think about something differently? Share it with me at jim at euphemet.com. The features we now do for Euphemet are almost 100% listeners who are many times sharing their stories for the very first time. So if you'd like to, jim at euphemet.com. And I'm back here with journalist Ralph Blumenthal, his latest book, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack, which when I picked up, I could not put down. Uh, I've almost read it twice already. It's out now in paperback. And we're diving into the work and life of a man who, for my money, has helped define what I'd like to call the postmodern UFO era. Welcome back to Night Drift, Ralph. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jim. You know, before break, we were getting around to this topic, but it, it, it brought up a question in my mind, which is, you know, for years, stories about UFOs, abductions, life after death, you know, when turned into editors, they, they would routinely meet the dead spike. You know what I mean? Oh. Um, what do you think has changed in, in more recent years to allow these stories to make print, Ralph? Well, that's a good question. Um, first of all, there's been a lot of good research. Uh, survival of consciousness, for example. Mm. Um, there's been, uh, you know, increasing uh, scientific research on these uh, uh, so-called near-death experiences, um, which remain, you know, in their way as mysterious as anything else. Um, really, Leslie Kane, my collaborator on the Time Story, uh, stories um, recently had a six-part Netflix series based on her book called Surviving Death. Oh, great series. Uh, which, uh, yeah, amazing. Followed the stories. The first episode, which was really my favorite, um, followed the story of two physicians, uh, one who was trapped underwater when her whitewater rafting uh, expedition, you know, uh, came undone and she was held underwater and uh, rescued later and pronounced clinically dead and flatlined. And uh, but she remembered everything that happened in the uh, emergency room. She remembered who which doctor was standing where and the conversations that she she heard her, her body floated up as she described it. Mm. And she witnessed, you know, herself lying on the on the bed. Uh, as they frantically try to revive her. So um, stories like that uh, over the years have, um, uh, you know, have gotten circulated and, and science has taken note of them uh, with, again, no real understanding of uh, or an explanation. Um, but um, again, I want to make the distinction between a, a UFO disclosures, which have really progressed mm -hmm. and, um, and now are regarded seriously by the government, by the Pentagon, by the Navy. Navy's a little ahead of the Air Force, but the Air Force, too, uh, that these objects exist. So uh, that still doesn't take us to aliens, <laughs> but um, it does make respectable uh, the idea that we need to know what these objects are, where they're coming from, uh, uh, how, you know, their, their amazing aerodynamic properties, 
which we would like to duplicate and reverse engineer for our own security sure. before anybody else gets a hold of this technology. Right. Um, and 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 one of the things that the uh, UAP, the UAP report last June showed was that these things are not uh, believably uh, Russian or Chinese or any other earthly powers uh, technology. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not like someone has, you know, beaten us to the punch and gotten a hold of this technology. There is right. nothing uh, earthly uh, likely about any, any of these objects that can do things that just cannot be duplicated on Earth. So, um, so that's been a big breakthrough. Again, it doesn't take us to aliens and, uh, and, and none of the time stories discussed aliens because we, we don't have the backup for that yet. We just don't know enough, but we right. now know a lot more about the UFOs. Yeah. Well, if recent news coverage holds any weight at all, it, it, it appears that, um, one of those countries listed can't even operate in a tank correctly, let alone a UFO of some right. sort. So, um, <laughs> Uh, speaking of um, tanks and all sorts of adventure, you know, during your career, Ralph, you've had you've had some amazing beats, man. And, <laughs> and your work you've done, like a Pulitzer Prize winning work, was uh, some of which, you know, really kind of explores some some darkness, the dark side of it all, organized crime, terrorism. Um, and you were even a young reporter narrowly sort of escaping death in places like Vietnam and Cambodia. While, right. while at war, um, you've covered Nazi hunters, stolen statues. Uh, really, we could go on and on and on about the the the, the awesome stories that, that you've been oh. on, the adventures that you've been on out there in the field. But can you take me back to a time uh, during your reporting or, or while working on a story, sometime in your career, that you felt like you were just completely over your head? Uh, well, that's often the case with uh, any reporting, you know, because I sometimes <laughs> teach journalism. Uh, I'm now at uh, working in at Baruch College uh, at the City University of New York, and I uh, was teaching journalism for a while to to young students. And mm -hmm. uh, a journalist starts off every day, really, from uh, point zero, you know, not knowing mm -hmm. anything about a subject that he or she is is going to be uh, writing about. Um, so that that's what makes journalism, by the way, such a great profession, as you know, um, because you're always learning something new and it's you're, you're always teaching yourself before you can, you know, educate the public. So you're very often thrown into uh, stories that you know nothing about to begin with. Um, and and that's what's so exciting. So I, I often felt the way you just described. I'm way over my head and I don't know anything. I, you know, I was recently. Uh, <laughs> compiling some anecdotes from my career. And I remember the story when I was a young foreign correspondent in West Germany. And um, um, I was in the office alone one day and I got a call from uh, a government spokesman that West Germany was revaluing the mark. The Deutsche mm. Mark was pegged to the dollar and for reasons to stimulate the economy, the mark was cut free from, from the dollar and it was uh, allowed to float. Now, I didn't understand any of this. I was not a great economics student. And here I am, the New York Times correspondent, and I'm supposed to not only understand it, but explain it to all our sophisticated readers. <laughs> and uh, I, I really, I felt completely inadequate and uh, overwhelmed. And I did what journalists do all the time is I called an expert. 
I, mm -hmm. I reached out to somebody at the university. Uh, I got some professor to explain it to me. And once he explained it to me as, as so simply that I could understand it, I was able to explain it to readers. And I wrote the story and led the paper. It was a three-column uh, headline on the Times the next day. And I, I laugh when I think of all these people all over the world reading this story and saying, oh, boy, this guy, he really understands this stuff. <laughs> I learned it about five minutes before. So um, that, that is typical. Uh, but that's what makes journalism such a great you know, profession and so exciting and challenging that you, you know, you, you learn things all the time. You got to be a quick study. And that's a skill that is applicable to students everywhere, not only journalists, but how do you bring yourself up to speed on a complicated subject instantly? Yeah. You know, you've seen a lot during your time, Ralph. Um, you know, when you look at the sort of the, the structure of independent media producers or content creators. There's a lot of folks out there that are exploring this very topic in earnest, right? Is there any advice you can give to those coming up in this field, you know, doing their best to cover this strange material, um, perhaps without any real training in journalism? Well, um, you know, the best training for journalism is to be as widely read um, as, as you possibly can be. And it's not necessarily to study journalism, the field of journalism, because uh, learning to write a news story to me um, is pretty, pretty simple, pretty basic. Um, the hard thing is to be um, curious about everything and to, to gather, to, you know, to increase your, inf your basic knowledge of, of the world and every other subject so that you're comfortable seeking out information in all these different fields, whether it's science or you know, physics, astronomy, uh, uh, health, uh, uh, you know, you name it, um, uh, foreign affairs, uh, politics. So, um, so that's the trick is to, is to be widely read and curious and, and learn how to master technology. Now, the young generation today is very good at that is, you know, uh, compiling information quickly. You know how to use computers, you know how to use the internet. Um, we were really hampered when I started in journalism. Um, every time we needed to, to find out something, we had to run to the library and, you know, and spend hours and hours pouring over books. And now there's all these shortcuts. So uh, it, it is amazing that that revolution that has made all this information available. So that's a big help uh, to people. But that, that's my advice is really to be as, as uh, uh, well educated as you can possibly be in any in every possible discipline. And don't worry about learning quote journalism, because that that, that is comparatively easy. That is such great advice for some folks out there, I think. Yeah, so thank you so much for sharing that. And I did read a story about you commenting on sort of how, how journalism has changed, how your work has changed, and you made some allusions to some very difficult typewriters that you used to have to manhandle for any results. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember this? So when we, we dealt with equipment in the old days, it was very bad. We had one telephone on the desk, and if someone was trying to reach you, they couldn't get through because you were on the line. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, there was no call waiting and, uh, you know, we didn't have a battery of phones. And so, uh, but, but no one else had anything better. So it's not like, you know, we were handicapped. <laughs> uh, that was a state of technology of the world. But today, 
I mean, it's it's unthinkable uh, for, for us when we were growing up. The technology at the disposal today of people. I mean, uh, every every book practically ever written can be looked up in a matter of seconds uh, yeah. on your on your cell phone. So um, that is uh, that's an extraordinary technological uh, breakthrough and leap. So uh, the tools that the journalists today have. Are, are so extraordinary. All knowledge is suddenly accessible. Um, and with, with that, of course, comes fake news too, which is another problem. Uh, and I teach a course on this sometimes at Baruch. Uh, uh, how, do you, how do students you know, uh, verify the news that's out there? Because it's like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, there's so much <laughs> yeah. information pouring out. How do you know wh what's real? Mm -hmm. And right now we see how Russia is falsifying the news about their invasion of Ukraine and, uh, and their own people are not getting the facts. So how do you get the right information out? That, that's a huge challenge. Yeah, you wouldn't know if it was fake news if it sprayed at you in the face at very high pressure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very sad. <laughs> and uh, because we're inundated with it, with all this news from every different direction coming on us, you know, our laptops, our cell phones, Twitter. Um, how do you how do you know that it's accurate? So that that's a real challenge. Um, um, and we didn't have that problem because we had very relatively few sources of information. We had the mainstream media. And what I say is we had pretty reliable gatekeepers, uh, right. you know, uh, sort of marshalling the news. Now uh, the gatekeeper, there's no gates. Yeah. Yeah. Off with the gates for sure. You know, last week uh, we had Cheryl Costa on. Oh, uh, we, yeah. We, have, we, we discussed, of course, her and Linda's stunning UFO sightings desk reference book. Yeah, I wrote a story about them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're doing remarkable work in compiling the data um uh you know where ufo sightings uh, have been made and uh, what time of day and what kind of object and very good science because that's what's really going to rescue this field from disreputability is the fact that it, it, science has to be applied to it it's not anti-science uh it's begging to be scientifically investigated yeah. um, so the so-called skeptics you know, um, who are not, in my, in my view, not really skeptics at all, because a skeptic has a healthy regard for the truth. Uh, some of these people are just debunkers uh, who want to make fun of, um, of the whole field. But um, uh, those who are really interested in, in, in getting to the truth uh, really uh, value the science. And I value the science. And more money has to be put into it, not less. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's 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 very strange. You know, it's a topic that can almost feel dangerous writing and speaking about still. But uh, science seems to be that thing that is uh, lifting the veil a little bit for just yeah. normal people to accept it, and also for people to become more curious without a lot of uh, shame, right? Yeah, and shame is is the problem in this field, especially when you you know get to the experiencers, the so-called abductees. Um, who've had these experiences. And this is what really uh, floored John Mack when he heard about them and, and, and interviewed these people on his own. I mean, he was a, a, a distinguished psychiatrist, so this was his field. And when he heard these stories from people, um, he, could, he could not believe that they were true. And yet the people were acting out the experiences on his couches in ways that convinced him that they'd really experienced something. And then there was you know, fragmentary 
evidence backing up their stories, the, the unexplained scars and third party accounts and evidence of a UFO in the neighborhood, you know, broken tree branches and things like that. So all these things made them think that there was something to this. Um, and, um, uh, but, but I mean, the, these stories are so amazing. And I've talked to a lot of experiencers myself for my research, and some of them were sources for John Mack, and some of them came out since John Mack's death. Um, uh, but uh, it's a complete mystery. It's still a complete mystery. We don't understand it at all. And uh, that's what needs to be pursued. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything you have done, uh, along with some of your contributors, to helping push the, the, the boundaries on what's acceptable within the mainstream. It, it, I think, has really definitively changed a, a, a whole uh, field of study that, that is not unlike what we've seen in other, other times with some, some things like rocket research or astrology. Um, it, it's a really big deal, and so it's, it's one of the reasons I, I appreciate you uh, so much spending some time with us here. Uh, we've been talking with journalist Ralph Blumenthal. His latest book, <laughs> Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack, is n now out in paperback. So I really encourage everyone to go and pick that up. And I'll have a link, of course, if you're listening to this as the podcast, I'll have a link in the show notes where you can just click right through and grab that as soon, like right now, just as you're listening. You can do two things at once. Just grab it. Sorry if that was just hard shilling, but I, I can't help it, Ralph. Uh, <laughs> where, where can everyone find your work? Oh, thank you, Jim. Um, well, I have a website, uh, ralphblumenthal.com. Uh, that uh, has some of my bio, my previous books, uh, links to uh, The Believer. It's now, I'm happy to say, it's not only in hardcover and paperback, but it's an audio book. Oh, great. Uh, it's on Kindle. So you can't escape it, Jim. It's everywhere. <laughs> uh, Full spectrum. Have it. It, Amazon has it. It's online. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's gotten there's a nice attention, thanks to folks like you who you know, give me a chance to talk about it. And I think the time is right um, to to look at this field. I mean, it, uh, there's so much we don't know about it, but John Mack was, is a hero to me uh, in that he um, risked his career, you know, to, uh, to, look, to look into this field. Uh, he could have walked away and said, uh, you know, I don't want to get involved. It's not good for my career, but uh, he did risk his career. Um, and he, he uh, contributed a lot of good information, at least, he, you know, he showed us the outlines of this strange phenomenon. He doesn't, he didn't solve the mystery, but we know more about it thanks to him. So brilliant. And thanks to you, we uh, are learning these stories once again and they're resurfacing. So we appreciate that so much, Ralph. Thanks for visiting us here at Night Drift again, and we hope to talk to you soon, my friend. I look forward to it, Jim. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up.
follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.